0: Welcome to our latest webinar for corporates. In this series, we'll be examining recent events and looking ahead at what might be in store for financial markets and the economy. Welcome, everybody. So if we look at the contents of the presentation and and what we're going to run through this morning, um, this slide will demonstrate that, as I say, there is only about six uh, separate subjects that we're going to cover. So we're going to look at the infection numbers um, from covid first and foremost, and and the trajectory that we're seeing there. We'll also look at the vaccination programmes, which are seen as potential uh, return to a greater degree of normality. Um, Then we'll look at uh, what the latest PMIs are indicating with regard to the effects of the lockdown on the UK and European economies that have locked down and, and what increasing restrictions uh, have done in terms of other economies as well. Um, before quickly turning our attention to negative interest rates, that has been in the news and it's been a hot topic recently. Uh, then we'll look at some of the risks to recoveries uh, before turning our attention to our latest FX market forecasts. So, without further ado, let's move on to the first slide and look at the infection numbers with regard to Coronavirus. And you can see from this chart, which is um, uh, obtained from a a website called Our World in Data, that the lockdowns and restrictions are generally having the expected effect with regard to infection rates, in that they are declining, and they're very sharply declining in some of those jurisdictions. Um, the, the, The one thing I would say with regard to levels of infection is that the... Um, the, the levels of infection that we, we had been seeing with regard to the UK were at a higher level than measured previously when the UK went into its first lockdown. But the reason for that is because there was a much more widespread testing. So the first, in the first lockdown, uh, I think the ONS suggested that we were capturing only about uh, a quarter or a fifth of the uh, infection data, whereas this time around, it's been more accurate in terms of the data capture with regard to infection levels in the UK. And similarly, in the likes of Germany and France and in the US, there is much more wide spread testing available than there was in previous lockdowns. Now, one of the concerns has been that the the, the need for continuation of these lockdowns is the more infectious strains of coronavirus, such as the, uh, the, the, the variant that was first discovered in Kent um, and variants that were first discovered in places like South Africa and Brazil. Uh, and so, because they are more infectious, that has led to the need for these lockdowns to last for longer. Um, and equally, you don't want to undo all of the good work that you're doing with regard to the uh, vaccination programs by unlocking economies too quickly and then uh, putting additional strain on your health services. So that's the reason why the lockdowns remain in situ for now and are likely to remain in situ until at least the end of February. Um, The levels of infection that we're seeing in places like Asia Asia are far lower, but predominantly that's because of travel restrictions being far tighter. So they dealt with the first wave um, seemingly more effectively. And I say seemingly because we're not so sure that we can trust the data that we're receiving from them. Uh, But because they've closed their borders and prevented a lot of international travel, um, they've been able to keep keep a lid on uh, renewed infection rates. Now, the drop in infection rates is clearly an opening um, in terms of uh, for the economies to unlock uh, and reduce their restrictions gradually. And we would expect that to occur um, from late winter and into early spring. Uh, And so we're anticipating that the first quarter will see probably a very significant additional drop in economic output. Um, In the UK's case, it might be as much as 4%. In Europe's case, it'll probably be um, lower than that, but still be significant. Um, And as far as the second quarter, we'd expect to see quite a lot of the economic output uh, uh, recovered, if if, if not more than enough of the economic output recovered. So, the second quarter um, should be when the recoveries start to, uh, to really take Moving on to the vaccination data on the next slide, what this shows is that the the rollout of of, of vaccinations, particularly impressive in Israel, um, where they've uh, vaccinated with at least one dose uh, around about two thirds of their, their population. Um, uh, and in the UK as well, where it's, um, it's just above 20% now of, of the UK population after the latest data. you know. Uh, but there's been a much more sporadic rollout uh, of vaccination programmes uh, across the rest of the world, and it's been particularly disappointing what we've seen in the likes of uh, Euroland and, and in Europe generally. Uh, it was noted uh, only the other day that Europe has vaccinated as many people Um, in total as the UK has. And yet the UK's population is 67 million or just under 67 million, whereas Europe's uh, population total runs to around 445 million. So, there are are clearly some problems with regard to Europe's rollout program. Why is that important? Um, Because it may well slow the the pace of recovery as far as Europe is concerned. You know, they may be uh, a few weeks, a few months, or even a few quarters uh, behind recoveries in other economies. Um, And the other point to note here is that the UK has seen recently some slowing in their vaccination programme, but that's been weather-related, whereas Europe's vaccination programme has been very much due to the supply of vaccine that they have available. Um, and so I think that that there are um, short-term problems as far as the UK's vaccination programme, where there are some perhaps medium to longer-term problems with regard to the supply of vaccine for Europe. So moving on to the next slide and, and and looking at what's happening with regard to the manufacturing and services PMIs, I think critically here, what, what we need to outline is that a lot more of the economies have remained open in the, the second or in the UK's case, third lockdowns um, versus where we were at the beginning of this crisis. Um, So, you're seeing more of the manufacturing economy open um, than it was uh, in the the, the first wave of the crisis, and as a consequence, economic output levels from that particular sector are are continuing to rise. Same thing for uh, Europe as well. In the US's case, they haven't had a strict lockdown. They have had restrictions in place, but again, the manufacturing economy does seem to be performing reasonably robustly, much different as far as the services economies in UK and Euroland, um, where enforced closures for businesses has meant that activity has slipped well below that 50 level that indicates either expansion or contraction. So above 50 expansion, below 50 contraction. Um, and again, note, notable that the U.S. services sector is performing better. So, if you look at some of the major sporting events that have occurred recently, they've had fans in the stadium at the uh, the, the latest Super Bowl. They have limited number of fans that are uh, are able to go to games um, in the uh, with the ongoing basketball season, and so on and so forth. So, the U.S. is operating differently to the U.K. and the Uh, Euroland economies in terms of um, the services sector. So, we would expect to see the UK and Euroland services sector playing catch up with the US later on this year. Um, And that will mean that rates of economic growth, particularly in the second half of the year, are going to look more impressive in the UK and Euroland than they will in the US. Now, moving on to Uh, the point with regard to negative interest rates. Um, So, this next slide looks at uh, where official rates have been across a whole host of of different countries or economies. Now, those countries and economies that have deployed negative interest rates have not uh, demonstrated a materially improved economic outlook for them versus the performance of those that have decided not to have negative interest rates. And I'm thinking here of Switzerland or Sweden or Japan or Denmark, all of whom have had or currently have negative interest rates, and yet their economic performance has been the same or in some cases worse um, than those of other economies. I think the case for negative rates, as I've stated previously on these calls, was always about a potential event driven reason to deploy negative rates so in the uk's case it was if the uk had gone for no deal on trade with the eu post the brexit transition period um there is still a possibility of negative interest rates but i think the chances of negative interest rates in the uk or the us or any other major economy that hasn't yet deployed them are receding and the reason i think those chances are receding is just simply that the outlook for economic growth seems to be improving particularly as i say in the second half of 2021 and for the likes of the uh, the, the uk as an example the uk has um uh, uh, it has been ing- indicated by the Bank of England um, is likely to recoup all of its lost economic output within the space of the next 12 to 18 months, um, and that's based on Bank of England projections. Um, as for the US, they they would expect to recover all of their lost output this year, but there's still some some lasting scarring from the uh, from the coronavirus. Uh, pandemic. And that I think we will see continuing to manifest itself in the months, quarters and even years to come in certain sectors. And that could limit additional upside for economies once they've recouped all of their lost economic output. But on the basis that that, uh, that negative rates are event-driven, the only thing, that I think would prompt negative interest rates from here is if we were to see some significant additional setbacks to economic recoveries from the coronavirus pandemic. So let's say that the vaccines are less, less effective against the new mutations um, of coronavirus, and that leads to the, the requirement for additional lockdowns um for an elongation of the period of social distancing then one could expect that that might prompt central banks into a um a a negative interest rate scenario but as i say i don't think it works and and i'd I'd, I'd add it you know finally that as far as negative interest rates are concerned do they do what you want them to do or or are they going to be penalizing the wrong sorts of behaviors you know will they penalize businesses that are being prudent with their cash and saving that money uh, and ensuring that they're not risking it on investments that might not pay off and looking for the right opportunities if you're doing that then as a central bank you're 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 performing the wrong type of service uh, with regard to your monetary policy because those businesses that have been prudent are the ones that you're ty- trying to protect rather than the ones that are being imprudent so Let's, let's move on to some of the sort of longer-term risks as far as the recoveries are concerned. And this next slide uh, points to the, the, the problems that we've seen with regard to levels of employment. Now, the US non-farm payrolls is, is running at around about 10 million fewer jobs than it was prior to the coronavirus uh, pandemic. So based on that, uh, one would say there's still a lot of lasting damage that that's been done to the U.S. economy, regardless of what we're seeing in equity markets with regard to new highs being printed in things like the Dow Jones and and other indexes, um, and regardless of what we've seen in terms of the economy, uh, uh, as um, looking at the lost economic output between pre-pandemic levels and and, and currently. So, employment is still a long way short of where we would expect it to, to be if the, um, the the US economy was printing new highs in terms of economic output. Add into that, um, that as far as the UK is concerned and Europe is concerned, the damage that we've seen done thus far to employment may not fully uh, be uh, being measured in official uh, data. Um, so, some of the official data is showing a relatively limited effect in terms of UK employment and, and even a, a more limited effect in terms of European employment. But that's probably because of furlough measures <clears throat> has protected businesses from, from having to make difficult decisions, de- decisions <coughs> Excuse me, uh, and also um, that a lot of businesses have been able to, to run in effect with the Most skeleton of staffs in order to keep their businesses operating. So, that lasting labour market damage might deal a blow to consumer led recoveries in later years. So, 2022 will be an interesting period because a lot of expectation is that 2022 will look a lot more normal than 2021. Um, But of course, the hangover effect of these job losses may well have an impact on things like retail and discretionary spending services. So finally, let's just take a look at the latest uh, FX forecasts. And we've seen some very constructive behaviour recently in sterling dollar. So sterling dollar has uh, headed up to sort of above 138.5 this morning uh, and um, uh, could well be on its way to testing up into the high 139s or even testing that fabled 140 level. But let's not forget where we, we, we've we rallied from. We were in the sort of mid-120s only a few months ago, and so this the, the, this Rally that we've seen has already been very impressive. Uh, Consequently, I'm not sure there's much in terms of the economic outlook that's going to elevate sterling higher. Um, And nor indeed, it's unlikely there's going to be any sort of big surprises from the US, fiscally uh, or monetarily, that will uh, put additional pressure on the US dollar. Um, so there might be some further constructive behavior in sterling dollar and in euro dollar, but we are approaching those high levels that, that we anticipated. Um, with the, 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 the news that the Bank of England has effectively put on ice negative interest rates for a period of at least the next six months, you did see a sterling rally. But again, that should now be priced into the currency markets and And one would question whether the safe haven currencies like things that is, uh, such as the Japanese yen and Swiss franc will continue to benefit in a generally more risk positive environment so you could see those um, taking a bit of a, a, a Of damage and and giving back some of the gains that they have already made at the expense of perhaps the Australian dollar, the Canadian dollar, maybe even a few other emerging market currencies that are more commodity driven. Uh, And I think the commodity markets do look in better shape than they were a month, six weeks ago, uh, again, because of that improvement in risk appetite. And and let's not forget, it was only a week or so ago that risk appetite was under it. First major challenge when the equity markets were embroiled in in uh, a, a very sharp uh, correction that, that that we saw across all of the major markets. So, you know, it, it is encouraging what we've seen with regard to the currency markets. But I would question. What is corporate behaviour going to look like with regard to sterling dollar and sterling euro as we approach key levels like 115 in sterling euro and 140 in sterling dollar? Uh, because those sorts of levels are at least budget, if not beating budget, for the majority of clients that we speak to. So that's the presentation. Um, I will uh, quickly refer you to our disclaimer. This just says we don't offer a advice um, and um, uh, that all of the views contained within this are forecasts thanks very much for listening to the webinar we hope you found it informative the next in the series will be available shortly